1: It is time now for our weekly ESPN roundtable presented by Paradise Falls, and we're very, very happy today uh, to have with us Mike Kramer and uh, Coulter. Mike Kramer is a guy who uh, I. Most people, most people who are sports fans, certainly who have been sports fans for a while in the state of Montana, will know who he is. He uh, played at Idaho in the seventies, worked his way through, you know, the ranks and the progressions of football uh, as a coach, ultimately becoming the head coach at Eastern Washington in nineteen ninety four, and then in two thousand, sort of overnight, becoming the head coach at Montana State, and was the head coach at Montana State from two thousand to two thousand six, uh, and left MSU. Amidst you know a, a, a very scandalous time at, at 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 MSU. I mean, a lot of people have talked about sort of the twenty the 2009 to 2012 range at the University of Montana, and Montana State went through a very very troubling time as well. And again, how to. How to assign things like responsibility I think is a little bit of a fool's errand. I think it's, I think it's sort of everyone and no one in, at some stage uh, other than the the actual physical acts themselves. But nonetheless, he was the head coach at that time, lost his job at that time, and was out of coaching for a while, uh, for about five years. Came back to become the Idaho State head coach, I think in 2011?
0: 2010. 2010? 2010. No, 2011, you're correct. Okay. 2011,
1: yeah. And uh, was head coach at ISU for about five years as well. Really fun guy to talk to. We touched on a bunch of different stuff, but also particularly in advance of Cat Grizz, a guy who knew the rivalry from a distance, then knew it up close, and then was in it, and in fact was the head coach as we mentioned earlier of the Montana State team that broke the streak that won ten seven in Missoula uh, in two thousand two. So and uh, but but Coach Kramer, one of. The old-timers to talk to. I mean, he is just, just as good as it gets, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of all of this. And I think, you know, it, it uh, football and being a head football coach is a public place to be, and there's responsibilities that are yours that not always do you have – even an ability to control, and so we understand, you know, some of that stuff, but also a guy with some temporal distance from all of it, and yet still an intimate knowledge of everything that goes on, especially in a rivalry game like the one coming up Saturday.
0: I mean, there's no question that Mike Kramer is one of the most entertaining, but also one of the most polarizing figures in Big Sky Conference history, but he's always been an outstanding resource of mine because he has a steel trap for a memory, and he is a self-professed historian. And the guy started playing at Idaho in 1971. So he basically has been immersed in the history of the Big Sky Conference for almost the entire duration of the league. He, it's worth noting that he was a, a defensive coach and then the defensive coordinator at Montana State in the 80s as well. So he was on the staff for Dave Arnold when mm. Montana State won the 1984 national championship. So he, he saw the highest of heights that Bobcat football has reached in the modern era. He also monitored from afar the lowest of lows, the streak, 16 straight losses to Montana. And then, I mean, he he came to Montana State with the explicit and singular goal of ending the streak, period. That was his not only his personal and program goal, but also the goal of the entire athletic department. That's yeah. what they hired him for. Yeah. And he did it. And then he beat the Grizzlies three out of four years. And then it all comes crashing down. We could do an entire show. About the scandal. I mean, you, you think that the scandal here, for whatever reason, the scandal there was cut and dry and closed, even though it was outrageous. I mean, you're talking about seven athletes selling cocaine with, with that was funded with scholarship money, and this, this drug ring comes to a head with a murder. Unbelievable. I mean, it was in Sports Illustrated. Yes. And so, anyways, a fall from grace, to be sure, and I know that he's a polarizing guy, especially after he sued Montana State University, but... Just from a historian perspective, there's truly no one better. So enjoy our conversation with former Montana State head coach, Mike Kramer. Welcome in to our ESPN Roundtable special edition. Cat Grizz Week, Grizz Cat Week, Brawl of the Wild, whatever you want to call it. The greatest rivalry in college football. And today we're joined by a very special guest, Mike Kramer, a guy who's been involved in this rivalry on and off, both outside of it and inside of it and all the way around it. Coach Kramer, thanks so much for being with us today.
3: It's just great to be with you guys and hello to
0: everybody in montana first of all let's go way back to your time playing for the idaho vandals that you you have as long of a history in the big sky conference as anybody i know that's how we got to know each other was just kind of talking the history of the big sky but when you were playing for the vandals and growing up in eastern washington when did montana montana state those two programs and the ferocity of the rivalry first land on your radar
3: well, uh, culture. I might be the second oldest guy associated with the Big Sky Conference way back, as Coach Erickson's still alive and <laughs> <he's> doing well. <laughs> and of course, of course, uh, Coach Erickson played quarterback for the podcast in the Cat Chris Chris Cat rivalry uh, under Coach Jim Sweeney, and that's when I really got to understand it. Simply because uh, I was becoming a college fan, and I was watching the University of Idaho play uh, against the two Montana teams, and then every year. It would, seemed like the end of October, these two guys would get together and it turned out to be really something. And then early in my or late in my high school coaching career or high school playing career, uh, my head coach was Dewey Allen who had played at the university of Montana and he brought some of that rivalry to us. And then Mick Dennehy, of course, who would later become the head football coach at university of Montana, uh, came to Colton, Washington and coached my brothers and allowed me to be a part of the staff in 1976. And every, every year, um, about the end of October, mix eyes would glaze over a little bit, <laughs> and it would be time for the rivalry to be on and, and going. And then, of course, uh, I got a chance to go and coach at Helena High School, which is right in the middle. You know, right, right. You know, whether you're a cat or a grizz, it was right in the middle. But in 1977, the Bobcats were coming off the national championship, and of course, the Grizzlies were uh, a will be on program that had suffered the ignominies of the NCA violations. and on a near death penalty and a near end of the program, according to student athlete voted at, at Missoula, and we we got a chance to go over and watch a couple of games, and they weren't they weren't as titanic as, as they did eventually become. And in the early eighties, uh, I joined Dave Arnold's staff down in Bozeman at Montana State, and uh, our first year uh, coming off a, a six and five season, we ended up going one and ten, but that one was a, a win over the Grizzlies, and I think we partied. For the next 364 days,
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> with Marty Morningwig in uh, Dornblazer. and uh, Coach Morningwig now, you know, a, a great fame and a great repute, had taken the Grizzlies into the one double playoffs in 1982, and and he was he was at the downswing of his career, and, and my gosh, we were really playing well, and but we were behind at halftime in Blazer, twenty to ten. We came back and won. 34-24 behind the strength of a couple of touchdowns by a kid from Missoula by the name of Tom Malum And that's when I really felt the personality and the personal ownership of the game, not necessarily from a team point of view, but from an individual player point of view and what it meant to all guys on both sides forever and ever and ever and ever. Because if you're born and raised, and you move away, you still come back. You're you always come back to Montana. And if you're a if you're born, you're either cat or grizz. You're one or the other, and you really don't ever bleed colors either way. So uh, it's it's been a wonderful rivalry, uh, uh, of course, under Coach Reed. It got away from Bobcats for a while, and then got an opportunity to close the gap a little bit in the early part of the early millennium, and then uh, of course it's been back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then some incomparable finishes, especially last year. I thought last year's finish was the reason you never leave. You never, never, never go to your car, never want to listen to post-game, be in the stadium and watch it to the final inch because literally, you know, after hundreds of years of playing this game, not hundreds, but over a hundred years of playing this game, it came down to literally (laughs) a couple inches for the Grizz and the Cats, and the Cats were able to get away with a steal at the end.
1: You know, uh, Couple weeks ago, Montana renewed its rivalry with Idaho for the first time in 16 years. In Missoula, uh, they had played last season in, in Moscow. But you, of course, played uh, at Idaho. Do you? Ha- what kind of rivalry was it with Montana between Montana and Idaho, which has been ongoing also for over a hundred years?
3: It was not. It was not. It was not a. You know, when I, when I went to Idaho in the in the early 70s, 1972 was my freshman year. Boise State was just starting to rise, and it seemed like all of a sudden our attention was, was pointed that way. <laughs> and I was thinking about this the other day, uh, in my career against the University of Montana, I think I won one game. So <laughs> it was it wasn't that it was a rivalry, but it was there were bigger things on the horizon for us at that time for Idaho. And Idaho, even in the seventies, was still trying to chase, you know, something bigger than, than the Big Sky Conference. And it's just so apropos that Idaho has had to redig itself back into what I consider to be the absolute perfect spot for a lot of these Intermountain teams to play against each other every year, regardless of where you have to go to make money and how you have to go to make money. Idaho belongs in the conference with Montana and Montana State and Eastern Washington. They need to throw themselves at each other. They need to recruit North Pacific Northwest guys, and there needs to be something more personal involved. Because, you know, here's the other thing uh, about the Idaho Montana thing is that when we played against the University of Montana, almost all the Montana guys. We're from Montana. Well, a lot of the Idaho guys that I played with were also from Idaho, so there was a little bit of that. But if you look at the rosters like I did last weekend, um, there's something missing a little bit, especially at Idaho. Uh, They don't have hardly a kid from the state of Idaho on their roster, and I I think that that's that's a travesty, and and hopefully Coach Petrino and his staff will will adjust themselves and become more part of uh, what I consider to be the – the bread and butter of, of our conference, which is local-grown talent that turns into something extraordinary.
0: The fact that Idaho moved down from the FBS, though, do you think that gives them an opportunity to recruit more in-state kids just because it seems like there's more FCS-caliber talent in the state?
3: That's a good question, Culture. But I, here, here's what happened. Idaho lost its way in recruiting. Um, when Idaho was good under Dennis Erickson, and then after – with Keith Gilbertson and John L. Smith, they had a lot of Washington guys in their roster. They had a couple Idaho guys, but they had a lot of Washington guys in their roster, especially uh, up and down the I 5 corridor and especially out of Spokane. My best friends are John Yarno and Chris Forman. One went to Gonzaga Prep and the other one went to Ferris, and they both played in Idaho, and they were both outstanding football players there. And, you know, there's not a Spokane kid or depth of Spokane kids on Idaho's roster. And I know that there's really good football played in Eastern Washington big schools and small schools and obviously through Montana and North Idaho and way over in the Seattle-Tacoma area, those guys need to stay within these four big sky schools or (laughs) at Portland State to that next in those five big sky schools. And it would just create such great fan interest game after game after game after game after game. But I I think that's what Idaho has missed. And it was wonderful to see Montana put it on for maybe some malfeasance on Idaho's part.
1: Mike Kramer joining us on the ESPN roundtable, former head coach at, uh, well, like 37% of the Big Sky
3: Conference, (laughs) uh, Eastern
1: Washington, MSU, and Idaho State, uh, been around the rivalry a long time, headed into Cat Grizz.
0: When you were talking about when you first got into coaching, and then uh, when you first got into college coaching, that whole time, the pendulum swinging back and forth was so interesting to me, because you have Sonny Holland and Montana State, and, and Montana State is dominating the Grizzlies in all aspects, and they win the 1976 national title. They ascend to number one in the country in 1978. Sonny Lubick takes over when Sonny Holland steps away, and he recruits this tremendous group of Montana guys. I know Mick Delaney was on that staff as well. And then I know those guys, some of those Montana guys from small schools, you know, class B schools, guys like Joe Bignell, you know guys like cleet linebarger that set the stage then for that 1984 championship run but in the meantime in the 1982 when the grizzlies won that title with Marty Morningweg and Brian Salonen and that whole group that sort of set the stage for then their rise when the when Harley Lewis built Washington Grizzly Stadium and that opened in 1986 so just back and forth it goes the cats win in 1984 then Don Reed comes in 1985 and the Washington Grizzlies built in 1986 and then Montana has the sustained Dominance. what do you think of just the way that it swung back and forth, and what was the key factor to Montana then seizing the rivalry for 16-plus years?
3: You know, guys, I, I think of this ball game as not necessarily a game for the fans or the boosters or even the players and the coaches. This is a game of grade school. Because if you're a Grizz kid and you're fourth grade or fifth grade and you wear a Grizzly shirt to school, and the Grizzlies haven't won for a while. All those Bobcat kids are going to tease the living dog water out of you. And the same thing happened <laughs> to the Bobcats. And so as, it, as as the rivalry lost a little bit of balance there uh, in the 90s, we were losing the war not in the stands and in recruiting. We are losing the war in the grade school. And so that's why this game means so much because at home, Grandpa, Grandma, Mom and Dad, Uncle and Dad, they're so sitting around they're talking about the game and you're learning you know, you're learning something about the game, whether you're a, a boy or a girl, and you're thinking about where you want to go to school and hey, you don't want to be a Thanksgiving. <laughs> Being the guy that's catching all the guts because the school that you might like is doesn't didn't win that game. And so I think the passion for success are grown so early in Montana about this game. I will be thinking about this game this week as as the cats and the grizz play, about how this is gonna impact the future generations of not just players but of students who become fans who become boosters who, be, who make this rivalry continue to grow and evolve for another hundred years
1: Coulter, you have a business and your business is
0: based in the world wide web indeed i do so i'm on my computer all the time
1: and if you're not online you're not making money and it is important to make sure that you're online and secure am i right
0: absolutely got to be cyber safe this day and age
1: Coach in 1994, you take over as the head man at Eastern Washington. Your first head coaching job in the Big Sky, and uh, you were there six years, very successful. In national semifinal in '97, but as as a as a head coach at Eastern, it seems like both the Montana schools are sort of secondary rivalries, but still strong rivals of Eastern Washington. What was your perspective on the schools at that time when you were then, you know, having been in the conference that whole time? But it's a different perch when you're the head coach at a, at a school.
3: I had the great fortune of being able to be the head coach against uh, the greatest player in the history of our conference, Dave Dickinson, and he made me pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, that guy, and that team, you know, uh, you know first, I got to coach against, lead the team against Coach Reed in 1995, which of course uh, was a mitigated disaster for us. We were a young Eastern Washington football team, and we got whacked, and of course the Grizzlies went on and won the title, and then a couple of years later, we were finally strong enough and good enough to be able to go into Washington Grizzly and, and win the game. In the meantime, as we were playing against Montana State under Coach Heisel, Coach Heisel was building a stol- solid, steady base. In fact, the flavor of Bobcat football today its not the fly anywhere, do everything offense that maybe a lot of the teams have. It's still the flavor that Coach Heisel imbued in the school uh, in, the, in the 1990s. You know, run the ball play good defense, be solid in the kicking game. If you got to throw it, close your eyes and hope it gets caught, and then just keep on marching. <laughs> so uh, there, there were a lot of things that happened to me early in my head coaching career that are still true today. Washington Grizzlies still a sellout. The Grizzlies still can beat you with a pack. The Bobcats are still tough on defense, and you've got to pay the price of toughness to be able to find a way to eke out a win against either program. So uh, toughness counts. Uh, the fans are awesome. This is just such a special, special, special deal that supersedes Auburn, Alabama, Army, Navy, all these other rivalries. A lot of other people can talk about because the personal part of this is as good as bread and jam. I mean, it's just, there's nothing closer. And I just think that that's, that's one of the cool things about what'll happen Saturday. In
0: 1999, going into the 2000 season, then you make the jump from Eastern Washington to Montana State. So before we get into... The quest to end the streak. Tell us that story. What was the experience like? What led you to want to take the Montana State job?
3: I haven't been there. Uh, so many great players had played with before us when I was there. Uh, between Joe Roberts and a, and a couple other guys who were who's a Missoula guy and who, who played a big role in, in, in our success at Montana State. There was just a really nice opportunity led by Chuck Lindemann and President Mike Malone. To go to a school, that was a half. Eastern Washington is a good school, but it's still a half-not. Montana State is a half. You look at the stadium, you look at the facilities, you look at the infrastructure, you look at the fan base, you look at the booster revenue, you look at the mission of the university. It was more attractive to me than staying at Eastern Washington, laboring in the shadows, i.e. with great talent, but not necessarily with the full aura of, of being a head college football coach. And then of course, we go to Bozeman, and immediately, uh, unfortunately for us, the tragic loss of Mike Malone, and then Chuck uh, was hit, was injured. He hurt his neck and, and kind of forced into retirement, and had to step away. And all of a sudden, we were leaderless. We had no president. We had our, our athletic director was interim, and it was like, and we were we weren't very good. <laughs> and that was going to culminate in being Owen eleven, and uh, it was about as not much fun as you can get to. We had 17 seniors when I took over the program. Four of them made it to the start of the next season. Two of them, uh, Sean Ross and Ari Gray are two of the great Montana kids in the history of the program, and their senior year went down. to so 0-11. And both those guys are, are still great friends, and, and we owe them a lot to our success because they helped us build the foundation that two years later would culminate. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of those things that... <laughs> I get to stand before God, and God will say, okay, here's one good thing you did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, t- t- take us back to that 2002 game at Washington Grizzly Stadium, because at that moment, the streak had honestly become out of hand. I mean, the Montana had dominated the rivalry so thoroughly, the Bobcats had lost, and... Uh, they'd lost big, they'd lost small, they'd lost in heartbreaking fashion, they'd lost in humiliating fashion. It had been a crazy time, and an entire generation of Cat fans did not get to see a win over the Grizz. But then you and freshman quarterback Travis Lulay, who's been on this show a couple times before as well, go to Washington Grizzly Stadium, and it was one of the most epic games in the rivalry, and one that I certainly will never forget. But what do you remember about your team's mindset going into that game, and what do you remember about what you guys were able to accomplish that afternoon?
3: Well, let's tick off the things we were faced. Um, we'd had a decent year. Um, we were given a chance to t- maybe tie for the conference championship, but the team we were playing against was a defending national champion, led by Joe Glenn, who, who led them to the title, led by their quarterback John Edwards, who had I- embodied everything that the Keggers rivalry was about, is about, and will always be about. Montana kid that was just an outstanding football player. But we came in with with a really outstanding defense, uh, led by Pete Witkowski, who's currently running a great defense uh, with Jimmy Lake, who also played for us at Eastern Washington, out at the University of Washington. So there was a lot of a, a lot of heroes in in that game on both sides who are still viable and a big part of our college football and the college landscape today. But we went into the game. Uh, we had been a little injured wide receiver. We We'd won a couple games with some backup wide receivers, but our receiving core led by Junior Adams, who's now at the University of Washington's assistant wide receiver coach, was finally healthy. And we also knew that if we could play enough kicking team defense, not not defense and kicking game, but kicking team defense, that we'd have a chance to hold it because our defensive front was phenomenal. Front seven, the linebacker, linebacking fours, the down guys, of course, Joey Thomas at corner with Jay Hackett at the other corner. These guys were stoppers. I mean, these guys, we could play man coverage on every down. And we did against Washington State that year. And Washington State had gone had a, a big bowl game. So we felt like we were athletically where we needed to be. We felt like after two years, we'd we imbued our team with enough of the, of the spirit to go. And I, I, We had just a, a really good plan. And our plan uh, on offense was simply that if they showed pressure, we were going to throw a slant to the inside slot because we felt like the safety would overrun it. As we got into a drive and got across midfield, and we we had a we had an opportunity. Uh, the Grizzlies like to zone pressure um, under <laughs> under Coach Bresky and, and they who who's still at the University of Idaho and they would bring zone pressure and the safety would rotate down to cover the slot and that was just a, a win for us. If Travis could get rid of the ball before the outside safety got to him. Uh, it could be a touchdown, and simply on that play, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Lo and behold, though, uh, into the teeth of that that play comes, here come the Grizzlies charging back. We were able to kick a field goal, get a 10-0 lead, and then here comes Johnny bringing them all back. But our defensive front led by Roger Cooper and uh, David Smith and uh, Jason DeCastro and uh, lots and lots and lots of great players, John Montoya, they were able to hold the fort and all of a sudden, the game's over. I mean, I, I'm telling you, fellas, you know, 19 years later, 18, 17 years later, uh, it's still shocking to me that the game got over. I, I'm like, when, when it ticked down to zero, it was like, really? I mean, really? i was like, really? And it's like when you discovered that maybe there wasn't an Eastern Bunny or maybe there wasn't a Santa Claus. You like, really? <laughs> really? I'm not sure I want to believe this, So so it's 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 a, it was a great honor to coach in that game and it's uh it's it's a beyond a lifetime experience for us to have made that rivalry back into something that's fun for everybody and, and fun to be a part of, but it's also uh not I wouldn't say deadly serious because war is deadly serious <laughs> this is serious, but it's not deadly serious,
0: you know guests, the Wingate by Wyndham is the Missoula hotel that truly offers something for everybody, no
1: doubt it's conveniently located near the airport, easy for when your friends come to visit you, and you know of course my favorite. Water slides.
0: That's right. They got an awesome water park with a sweet water slide that's perfect for families, groups, and birthday parties. But with the Wingate, they also have a terrific business travel rate, large meeting spaces for you and your clients, and one of the best rewards programs you'll find anywhere.
1: Talk to me about breakfast. They're not messing around with the Continental. They got the full breakfast spread, man. That's what I'm talking about. I need that.
0: They got you covered there as well. Just down the road from the Missoula Airport, the location is quiet and convenient. The parking is ample and free and the staff genuinely cares about taking care of their guests.
1: The Wingate is at five two five two Airway Boulevard. You can also call very simple, easily memorizable number, five four one eight thousand. That's five four one eight thousand. The best hotel at the best spot for a hotel near the airport.
0: Let the wingate by Wyndham in Missoula make you feel at home even when you're not.
1: Mike Kramer joining us. He was the head coach at Montana State from 2000 to 2006, uh, head coach in the Big Sky Conference for, oh, about 15 years plus uh, around different schools. <laughs> and, Coach, w- w- you-, you talked about the fact that when you were an assistant coach uh, at Montana State, is kind of the first time where you got maybe the first-person personal uh, uh, sort of uh, window into what the rivalry is and was all about. As the head coach, you talked about the the game and ending the streak and what that was like, but in broad scope, what was it like for you, uh, you know, as the head coach of Montana State, to play every year against Montana in, in, in the Cackers game?
3: Win the game or get fired. Yeah. I mean, really, win the game or get fired. I mean, literally... As an assistant coach or head coach, it's win the game or get fired. You know, and, and even if you have had, if you're undefeated and you got things going or whatever, you lose this game, you know, on Monday, you're holding your breath, literally. Literally, every single year from 83, 84, 85, 86, and then 2000 to 2006, every Monday after the game, if we had lost, it was hold your breath. You literally hold your breath. Because it was so important, and of course, in eighty after the eighty six game in which Mike Rice and, and Brent Pease had just torn us, pieces, we held our breath long enough to be fired on Tuesday. And <laughs> so it happened. You know, it, it really happened. So in two thousand, uh, we lose uh, fourteen to three or twenty one to three, and I'm thinking that's my first year. But we didn't win a game. We didn't beat the Grizzlies. I might not be here Tuesday, and I sat with our interim athletic director, and he said, okay, go get him. And then a year later, you know, we we were competitive in the game. Isn't that crazy that
1: one game over an entire season or maybe portions of a person's career can be the sort of overwhelming statement about whether you're successful or not?
3: (laughs) My answer to that is real simple. Sports in America is a phenomenon. There's just no rationale (laughs) why hundreds of billions of dollars would be spent on an oblong ball that the rest of the world just cannot conceptualize. I mean, it's just its getting better every year. I don't want to say it's crazier every year, it's more phenomenal every year, but it's better every year. There's just more interest, more caring. We're doing a better job of looking at why guys get hurt or what what the impact of collisions are. We're doing a better job of protecting the, the, the players that play in the game. We're doing a better job of presenting our product uh, to all genres, all people, all interests. We're doing a better job of making sure that guys that go to college you get degrees. We're making a better, doing a better job of take, making sure the guys go in the NFL, that they don't get retired crippled. We're doing a better job at the high school level of making sure that we don't play too often or without enough rest or we play too many games. There's just so many ways in which we're enhancing a phenomena that has no rhyme or reason. Or there's just no scientific base. That you can say it that can justify this, but it is, and because it is, it's fun. And if it's going to be, if it's going to be there, <laughs> it's going to exist. It might as well be as fun as anything. And and the fans have turned it into something not religious, but something awful close to devotion.
0: We'll get you out of here on this, then, Coach. This is the 119th rendition of this great rivalry, and it's <laughs> it, it's sort of. Come full circle now with the fact that it's more even than it's been. Uh, this last two decades has been back and forth. You know, Montana, Montana State, they've beat each other uh, quite frequently. One winning on the road more often than not this decade. But what do you think this rivalry means? Just to the Big Sky Conference in general, and where do you think this rivalry ranks on a national scale?
3: Well, on a national scale, you know, not very many people have been to Montana, so they don't know, and and that's fine. That's <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <All> right. <laughs> <laughs> on a personal level, uh, to, to all the players involved, I don't think the trophy should travel. I think that the state legislature should build a building on top of the divide, above Butte, and house that sucker in a cat Grizz museum and tell the story of what this rivalry is really all about. Because from Eka from Plentywood down to the far reaches of Dillon. This thing is the most fun event that Montana can ever, has ever had. And it just it replicates itself every single year. And whether you're at the game side or you're on the radio or you're watching on TV, you're going to talk about it for 364 more days until next year. So win, lose, tie, or draw. This thing is going to last a long time. It's great to see some balance in it. I love both coaching staffs and how they're playing. I got their guys playing this year should be a lot of fun. But guess what? There's going to be another one next year that's going to be just as much fun.
1: One other thing for you here before you we get you out of here, coach. But what are you up to these days? And come Saturday, what are are you going to have this thing? Are you going to take a look at uh, rivalry
3: game number one nineteen? <laughs> well, number one, uh, thanks to uh, the internet, I'm able to watch every team. In the big sky I play almost the entire year and I, i'm really up to speed on where everybody's at how they're playing i get a chance to record all the games and watch them again and i, I want to stay on top of the science of the ball game i don't know the personalities as much and i don't know the story behind the players which is something that is, is really the story behind this category so i'm involved in watching the games i'm having a lot of fun being retired uh, I'm actually doing some minor logging today. Nice. <laughs> I, I guess that would make that would make that would make me probably a, a, a grizzly fan today. So <laughs> like, like close to Olivia doing some. I actually doing some, some logging on some property I have up here in North Idaho. But um, enjoying myself. I'm healthy. Uh, I, I miss the sport a lot, and I, I miss the interaction with all the players. What I don't miss is I don't miss the nail biting, <laughs> the nail biting, and the cell phone. I just that's something that. Just has gotten make the sport a little bit different than it maybe it needs to be. Uh, it, the instantaneous gratification that people want from today's event is something that uh, it's, it's a new phenomena, and uh, I get a chance to watch it, but not necessarily have my life tied up in it.
0: We're not going to ask you to make a pick, but I do want to get your perspective on this. Is a, a Coach Houck team in year two? Bobby Houck has his identity on this team faster than I think a lot of people expected. It's certainly Jeff Choate's identity at Montana State. It, I thought your parallel between him and Cliff Heisel's teams was great, because they do. They run the ball with authority. They play great defense. and uh, They play with an edge, just like Coach Heisel's teams did, very similar to what your teams did as well. But just the dynamic of these two head coaches clashing, what do you expect? How, how do you think this game is going to play out on Saturday?
3: If every, every one of it comes down, Every every time this game is played, it comes down to mistakes. Who can avoid the catastrophic mistake? And who can make the mistake that they make, not turn into something that they can't overcome? A fumble punt, a 15-yard penalty, holding penalty just before you score. Or as last game, <laughs> her last year's game, was typified by the last playoff, fumble in the red zone, inside the one, going in for the win. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so to me, it's it's how can you do everything you know how to do? And when you make a mistake, not make that mistake, be such a blemish. Both coaches are experienced. Both coaches are savvy. Both staffs understand what's at stake. Uh, Rather than make a prediction, I just hope everybody enjoys the entire piece of the pie because it's, uh, it's something that we have to wait again. Another 364 days to see next year.
1: Well, Coach, in typical uh, two-tell Nuwana's fashion, we said we had one last question for you and asked you ten more, but we appreciate it very much uh, you did with us. It's been a blast to, to talk with you and get your perspective kind of looking back on a rivalry that you've been in and around for, for decades. Uh, so we really, really appreciate it and best to you. Enjoy the game Saturday and the logging today, all right?
3: <laughs> well, my last thing to you guys, very simply, is thanks for having me. Me on and having an opportunity to talk about something I think about uh, five minutes out of every hour for the rest of my life. I always think about you know, coaching at Montana State, being in Montana, seeing all the people, knowing all the people in all the towns, and, and being a part of that rivalry because I'm a huge, huge, huge Grizz fan, and I'm a huge Bobby Huck fan. But I'm also a Bobcat. i got a paycheck from there, and I'm still loyal to being a Bobcat. So I say, go Grizz and go Cats, and hey, let's have some fun
1: in this game for Montana State. Again, distinct from the best player, though it certainly could be, to me the most important player for the Grizzlies on Saturday is it's a no-brainer. The answer is Dalton Sneed. Hmm. Dalton Sneed is the answer for two reasons. Uh, he is the straw that serves the break the drink offensively for Montana. They got a ton of weapons, but he's the one who makes it go. And the other thing is he's injured. I mean he has been he was out for for two games Came back during the Idaho game, played last week, played well, but you know, he is he is sort of Troy Anderson esque right now. The both of them are kind of the, the walking wounded and and he is his ability to play within the scope of of what his physical health is like is going to be huge. And so he is, to me, the key for Montana in this football game. Uh, in partic- in general, he might be anyways, but especially how is he going to look relative to to, to his high ankle sprain?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> the biggest, I think, when you're talking about comparing position to position, not who's going against who, but just comparing the who has an advantage at each position on paper, Dalton Snead, when he was healthy... Was the best quarterback in the Big Sky Conference uh, and a true All-American candidate, and that's not the true. That's not the case with Tucker Rovig, so it's a huge advantage for Montana sure. in that element. Even with Sneed hobbled, here's what I'm interested in. Montana's offensive line got dominated against Sacramento State, and that's half the reason why Dalton He got hurt. There was no chance for Weber State's offensive line or defensive line to to wreak havoc like they're normally used to because Weber State had never been down by more than seven points in a game this season, period. When they went down 21-3 because of two special teams blunders, it could fundamentally alter the entire game. And it also allowed Dalton Snead to to be settled in without having to do anything crazy. Montana State's defensive line is going to run roughshod on Montana just because of their talent. I think Montana can hold their own up front, but I don't know. I, to me, the most important player in this game is twofold. It's the two-headed monster that Montana plays at linebacker. Jace Lewis and Dota Olsen. Because the Cats have 19 different ball carriers this year. they got seven. D- they do. They've had 19 <laughs> different ball carriers. they got seven dudes with over 100 yards rushing. Five dudes with over 300 yards rushing. The discipline that those guys might be able to enact could slow Montana State down. If they can do that, Montana State's offense becomes almost irrelevant. Two more days. We'll see you tomorrow.